Welcome to A Walk in My Stilettos, where our goal is to help you walk in your greatness. I'm your host, McKinney Smith. Hey, Faith Walkers. Thank you for joining us on the A Walk in My Stilettos podcast, where we have conversations with amazing women that are letting us step into their shoes. I help women to strengthen their resilience muscle, own their stories, and conquer their fears so they can reach their goals. I get inspired when I see another woman succeeding, but what interests me more is her backstory and her mindset on how she got there. So today's guest is about to bless us with her testimony, and since you're already here, you may as well subscribe. Today we have Eleanor Beaton. She is a women's leadership mentor and founder of Fierce Feminine Leadership, an organization that helps ambitious women develop the confidence, presence, political savvy, and influence they need to smash the glass ceilings and take their seats at the tables where the big deals and big decisions are made. Eleanor is an award-winning journalist and the host of Fierce Feminine Leadership Podcast. She has served as chair of the Visiting Women's Executive Exchange Program at the Yale School of Management, and she currently sits on the board of Innovate Corp and Invest Nova Scotia. Eleanor has been privileged to serve some of the country's most recognized women leaders, including Arlene Dickinson, star of CBC's hit show Dragon's Den, and former Canadian First Lady Margaret Trudeau. So please welcome to the show, Eleanor Beaton. Oh, it's so good to be here. I'm so excited. (laughs) Thank you so much for agreeing to come on and share your story with us. You are most welcome. I love, you know, what you stand for and this idea that we love it when women are successful. But like you, I'm fascinated at what preceded that. Right. Inside, especially, right? So this is these conversations are just so rich and valuable for all of us. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, I've seen over the years so many beautiful highlight reels on social media. But I also know that there was a lot of resilience and a lot of adversities that people had to overcome to even get to those highlights. So I love to speak to women who are doing amazing things and inspiring us all. But I want to get deeper into your story of resilience. So before I start the show, I, I love to start with an icebreaker question, because I believe that as women, we have all these different titles that we go by. And I believe that a title that's not given enough significance is our name, because our names have meaning. So I would love to know, Eleanor, do you know what your name means? I do. Eleanor is derived from the Greek Electra, which means light. Love it. Love it. That is an amazing (laughs) icebreaker question. Oh my gosh. I'm like, I I was nervous, but thank goodness I had the answer. I love it. So every time someone says your name, they're declaring that you are light, that you are that bright, shining one. So own it. Wow. What an awesome way to start. I love that. I will. (laughs) I will. Awesome. So let's go back before we get to where you are presently. Share with us, what did Eleanor want to be when she was a little girl? I wanted to be, and I'm not sure how little I was at this point, probably like 13 or 14. And so I had two main sources of sort of sheroes at that time. So one was my aunt who was a very successful 
investment banker. And I just knew that she was independent. She had a lot of money. She made great clothes. She could really negotiate. She was tough. She was caring. So I had my aunt as a real sort of role model in my life at that point, And she gave me something to aspire to. And then on the other hand, I grew up in the age of the supermodel. So Cindy Crawford, Naomi Campbell, Linda Evangelista, and I was tall. I did not have what it took to be a supermodel. I can say that now, but at the time I was (laughs) tall and skinny. So I was like, look, it's going to be investment banker slash supermodel. So that's what I wanted to be, investment banker (laughs) slash supermodel, right? Right. I love it. So how did you get into journalism? (laughs) I know. (laughs) How did, because I, my, my dreams of being a supermodel came crumbling down. No, just kidding. Um, so (laughs) I got into journalism because this was so interesting. So I, uh, studied English and economics at the university of Toronto. I started working in advertising but I had this love of writing. And so I started writing for an arts newspaper at the time, writing articles and getting really great feedback from my editors. And it just felt like this need. And so I decided to go to journalism school. So really what happened is I was, you know, getting engaged to the love of my life. We're still married. We've got two kids, you know, years and years later. So we're getting married and we decide to move back to the East Coast, which is where we're both from. I had a great job in advertising, but it was just kind of an inflection point, you know, in in young adulthood when you're like, is this the path that I want? And it Mm -hmm. wasn't. And so I decided I'm going to go back to journalism school, um, get a journalism degree and see where that takes me. So that's really how my early career in journalism came about. Okay. And now you're the founder of Fierce Feminine Leadership. So usually when we start a thing, we -hmm. have this intention behind it. And sometimes it takes on, you know, a life of its own or turns into something completely different. So I would love to know what was the intention when you first began Fierce Feminine Leadership? So that really started, the roots of that really got started in 2011. And so I had built up a career as a journalist. I transitioned into running a communications consulting firm where I was advising CEOs on crisis communication strategy. I was advising organizations on how to really craft powerful key messages to help them be stronger lobbyists. Like, you know, it was all about helping people communicate and tell their story better. I was behind the scenes advising, supporting, strategizing on behalf of the people who would ultimately have the microphone. In 2011, my father became very ill with cancer. It was a swift and brutal decline, really. Yeah, he died within about five months. Wow, my condolences. Thank you. You know, anybody who, I was very close with my dad, and anybody who has experienced loss like that, When you lose someone in your family, especially if you're a close family, and potentially even if you're not, it's like this table, (laughs) you know, you you were a table and there were four legs and now one of those legs disappears. And so Mm -hmm. I spent a year feeling very off kilter. I felt very uncertain. And it was a period where I was, I I look back now, and again, it was this inflection point. Do I really want to continue doing this? Or is there something different? And Mm -hmm. so 
I decided there was something different. And what felt missing to me, again, it's the same thing that had me leave advertising and go into journalism. It was this sense that I had a voice inside. There was something that I wanted to say. I first went to journalism school and then I started using that talent to say things on behalf of other people. Mm -hmm. But I was at this place now and I realized, okay, I'm mortal. (laughs) I, I don't know how much time I have. I'm going to use the time that I have to speak on behalf of myself, to use my voice to advance my mission and my ideas. That's where fierce feminine leadership came from. Wow. I have goosebumps right now um, for so many reasons. I mean, that's a beautiful beginning. And I love how you were able to turn your, you know, your pain into your purpose. And when I think about not only your story, but a lot of the other women that have come on and shared stories of losing a loved one. I think about losing my sister in 2012. And the same way how you said you were able to take that experience and you found your voice and you became a voice for others and it gave you more purpose and intention for your life. Like, I don't, like, I don't know if there's any studies on this, but I'm, I'm thinking about every episode that I have done so far with another woman that shared her story of losing a loved one. It's like we all had this shift where mm. we have taken that experience and looked at our life and said, okay, tomorrow isn't promised. I'm going to be very intentional and I'm going to be purposeful and I'm going to help others. And we've all been able to find our voice and be a voice for other people. And I, it's such a beautiful commonality and like I've got total goosebumps right now. I'm like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, wow. you know, this is so interesting because I think grief, you know, especially the loss of a loved one, somebody who's very close to us, there's something nobody talks about because it's so uncomfortable, but it is also a brutal freedom that you mm-hmm. never asked for. And mm-hmm. I think that's why it prompts so many of us to kind of search our souls and make big changes because in many ways, I think we understand ourselves or we define ourselves in relationship to other people. Mm-hmm. And when that person isn't a part of our lives anymore, outside of the spiritual realm anyway, all of a sudden it brings up questions. Who am I? If this, mm-hmm. if I'm not this person in relation to my sister or my father, you know, or my brother or my mother, now how we define ourselves changes. And that's the brutal freedom I'm talking about, right? Mm-hmm. And and it's uncomfortable. It, it feels disloyal even to describe it that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think that's what it is. Wow. You know, even when you talk about the questions that we ask ourselves, I recall, you know, when my sister passed away, I started to look at, you know, the messages I was getting from people about what she meant to them and, you know, Mm -hmm. the phone calls and all the people that wanted to reach out to share how she had touched them. And it made me ask myself a lot of questions like, how do I want to be remembered? What do I want my legacy to be? Like it was asking those big, deep questions you know, thought provoking questions on life. Totally. Yeah. It's you're not the same. (laughs) And and you don't ask yourself that question and be like, you know what? I'm good. I might. (laughs) Yeah. Right. You don't. 
<laughs> wow. Wow. Look, even the, even the stages of, of grief, I think that when you love someone and they transition on, you know, out of this physical world, and I've had many conversations with people who have experienced, you know, severe loss of a loved one. And it's like, even though there are, you know, the different stages of, of grief, everyone goes through them differently. Everyone, you know, has their own timelines with grief. I guess I'm just curious, how how long did it take for you to shift to say, you know, I'm going to be more intentional from the time that your father passed until you realized that you wanted to be a voice for others and were able to tap into your own voice? So my dad died in April and, you know, the immediate months before that, it's so intense when somebody is ill. There's mm-hmm. hospital visits. I'm the oldest of three kids. And so there was a, I kind of had a leadership role inside my family communicating about the reality of his situation to his siblings and his mother, you know, my aunts and uncles and grandmother. And so there was, there was just this immediacy and poignancy and richness to that period of time. And then there was this sort of yawning, gaping, painful, brutal period of time, which I think was really about two months after he died, where there's just this crater inside you. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's this loss. You feel like you're reeling. It was very, that's grief. You know, it's just the the full force of it. Yeah, that um, unbearable pain. Unbearable. <laughs> it's just, you know, it's unbearable. And it's unbearable, you know, yeah. And so that happened. And then the summer came. And I remember, so in those first few months after he died, it was really about survival, like spiritual, mm. survival, just getting through. I had a, you know, a very young infant. I had my four-year-old son at the time. So it was very much about kind of survival mode. I remember I was doing what I needed to do to get through the days. And that was pretty much it. Mm-hmm. Then the summer came And what was so interesting is that's when I started to notice that I had no ambition. So my ambition kind of left me and all I wanted to do was go for really long walks. And I remember feeling, and every time this happens to me, I've had periods in my life where my ambition kind of disappears. And that has always been a huge part of my identity something that makes me feel safe actually is having ambition. Mm-hmm. And so when it goes, I was I was like, what the hell is going on? Who knows? Like I could just end up, I don't know what the hell I'm going to do. This was what I was going through. And I'm walking and walking and walking. And then really in 2012, I noticed a shift in which I started redirecting my efforts to do, to really start only taking on projects that I wanted to be involved in but they were still other people's voices and stories. In 2013, I started a blog. My first blog was about losing my dad. And from that point on, I have basically been writing consistently, like producing content consistently since that time. Mm -hmm. So I think it was truly for me, it was like, you know, 18 months to two years before I was really able to take it and transform it into something meaningful. Right. Wow. It's beautiful how even as you explain 
the process of what you went through. And as you're explaining each thing, it's like in my brain, I'm just thinking about the different stages of grief because we go through this like shock and denial and this disbelief and, you know, we're numb. And then we've got the pain, you know, you talked about the unbearable pain where you just, you don't know how you're going to live or, or go on. And then some people experience like this anger and, and bargaining. And then you go through the depression where you said, you know, you just didn't feel like you had purpose yeah and then there's like the upward turn where we realize there's more to life or that we could do more and then you start to reconstruct your life and then you come to this place of acceptance and hope and I think that it's it's beautiful even in just that synopsis of how you explain how you transitioned through all of those stages of grief without even realizing it well, and it's so it's so fascinating, right? You can tell both of us have been through major grief. Because <laughs> we're like, oh my goodness, yes, me too. You know, and it's and it's but here's what I find so interesting. I can remember going through a period where I was not feeling great. You know, I I was I was in grief. And I remember at that time I was going to get sort of a regular checkup with my doctor. And so she was asking me about how I was feeling. And I was like, you know, I'm feeling down. I just mm-hmm. am feeling down. I I don't really have a lot of ambition. I am just trying to kind of get through each day and be present with my kids. And and I still had moments where I could enjoy my life and all of that. But I just I, there wasn't that additional spark. And I remember her asking me if you know her saying, uh, t- bringing up this idea of, of taking antidepressants. Mm-hmm. And I could remember, and I am down. Like I'm okay with that. Right? There is no. It, it it it's that's cool, mm-hmm. but I was so surprised that that was where she went first, because in my mind, I knew that you know just like giving birth is this really agonizing process, right? But the agony produces it is a constructive thing, you yes. know. And I knew as I was going through it, I would never have asked for this, but it was some something was being accomplished. Right. I remember there's this line in the Bible when Jesus is on the cross and about to die and he mm-hmm. says it is accomplished. Mm-hmm. And I remember that line always stood out to me and there's so many times in life, you know, when you go through something painful and you're at the end of it and there's this moment where I'll be like it's accomplished. Like mm-hmm. something happened here. Right. And I'm different. Right. The transformation. It was accomplished. Wow. Right. There's, there's, I'm, I don't like, there's so We're going to get letters that. from people who are like, why did you have to bring the Bible into it? And I'm listen, like, listen, listen. Show, I'm, right? I'm exactly. totally faith-based. I will have what I want on the show. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for bringing that into this. Uh, <laughs> I, but I'd like, even as you talk about that, for anyone listening, even if they haven't experienced the loss of a loved one, grief can come in so many different forms. Like grief can come from a breakup. Grief can come from the loss of a career after so many years. And especially grief. Everyone went through the stage of grief when the pandemic hit. So oh, here we are yeah. in 2020 and you know everyone's trying to process through this pandemic. And a lot of people experience grief going mm-hmm. through Um, So you talked about even losing your dad and having to come to this place of acceptance and going through the loss and working through, you know, survival mode. 
How has the journey been like for you since the pandemic? Has it affected how you serve? Mm. This is so interesting. So it has in the sense that it has, you know, as you were saying, as you were talking about the different ways that you can go through grief, I kind of had this moment as you were saying that, uh, this kind of one of these sort of coming together moments. And I think people who are listening to this conversation are going to experience that. It's that kind of conversation, right? There's <laughs> some coming together moments. So I had this coming together moment as you were sharing that. And so the pandemic hit in the midst of, so 2020 for has been a year for me of really building up the infrastructure. So to me, mm. I'm a big believer in that when I make space for things to happen and I create the infrastructures for things to happen, they do. And so as I was, right, exactly. Mm -hmm. So as as I've been growing my company and then I came to this place where I was like, okay, it's time to build the team and the systems to support continued growth. So 2020 was all about that. Really, you know, we tripled the size of our team and that was the plan. And then March 17th happened. And for me, like the NBA shut down, that was what I knew. I'm a major <laughs> basketball fan. That's what I do. I was like, whoa, stuff just got real. You know, this is yeah. real now. So, you know, so, so this happens. And there was, you know, and I made the commitment that I, ha- I wasn't going to stop. So mm-hmm. I was going to be prudent that the better I was at leading the business and building this infrastructure, that was how that was going to be my best insurance and the best insurance for my clients and for my team members. So that continued. And it's interesting because in this summer, I started feeling something. (laughs) My ambition started to go away. Mm. Weird, right? I'm like, oh, what's going on? So my ambition started going away and I started to feel irritable. I just, you know, it, I didn't feel right. It was so interesting because what was happening is that I had built the team, I'd built the infrastructure, and suddenly my role in my company was different. Mm-hmm. And I noticed I was really starting to grieve not being, not having the role that I'd left behind. Right. You had to you grieve know, the old you. I had to grieve the old me, like yeah. in order to do, like I'd created the throne. Now it's time to sit in it. And mm. I, I was feeling a lot of grief for being a foot soldier, mm. <laughs> you know, for that. Wow. Not, and I'm being quite, you know what I'm saying? So that is so powerful. It, right. And it's something we never talk about as women, but there's just this constant, you know, the, the pandemic really, you know, at the same time as this was happening, I was creating this. And it really opened up a gap and an opportunity for me to elevate. And in the moment that I needed to do it, I felt scared. I felt afraid. I felt uncertain. I didn't want to leave what I knew behind. I didn't want to elevate to something that was new and uncertain. Mm -hmm. And I went through that same period. (laughs) You know, my ambition goes away. I start to feel frustrated. I start to feel, you know, all those things, those emotions, they are grief. They just looked a little bit different this time. So here we go. Goosebumps again. Powerful. (laughs) (laughs) So as as you were talking about, you know, how you had to grow and how you were able to manifest things and build and create the infrastructure, but it also put you in this process where you had to grieve in order to get to the transformation. I'm 
like there are a lot of people that cancel 2020 you know they they can't even find the good in 2020 and I'm one of those people where I've had so many blessings in 2020 I think I've had more in 2020 than I had in 2019 Um, so I'm listening to everything as you put it together and there is a book called and I had a a previous guest recommend it to me it's called The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks and he's talking about it have you read it yes okay so I'm listening to what you're saying and I'm you know, he talks about no matter how successful you are in life, you come to a point where you you said just now, like, you don't feel the ambition. Um, you kind of feel like almost bored. And then you get all these, you know, negative feelings, but it's the upper limiting beliefs. And we all have them. And no yes. matter how successful you are, you know, there's four different areas in your life where you could have these upper limiting beliefs that affect you going through those glass ceilings and we can all work through them once we're aware of them and I'm listening and you're growing and it's like that inner upper limiting belief that you had to break through to transform to come to this place of acceptance with building the brand and being a bigger version of who you are and you know making a greater impact it's scary but we have to go through those feelings to get to the other side you know we have to work through the fear to get to that place of freedom and rewards. It's so beautiful. Like I'm just listening to everything and my brain is like going through <laughs> right? you're saying. And it's so funny because there's something so powerful and beautiful about, you know, sharing the experience and, and talking about the experience, especially once you're able to make sense of it. Mm-hmm. When I was going through it, and I mean, I think this is true of any place in life where I have felt really vulnerable. And of course, that's where all the really good stuff happens. Yep. But, you know, as I was going through it, it felt agonizing, like it was very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And what I found so interesting about the whole thing is that as we do grow, as we grow, if we're able to practice some awareness if we're able to maybe get some coaching, to do some reading, to have a strong meditation and spiritual practice so that we can be, you know, kind of ground in. Right. As we grow, we are going to experience that discomfort. And I knew, you know, once I kind of clued in, I was like, oh, this is why the discomfort is happening. But here's the, here's the really cool distinction. I was so uncomfortable and as I was kind of going about leading my business, doing my thing, my discomfort was causing me to doubt myself. Mm. But then as I would step back, I would be like, okay, so what? why am I doubting myself in this situation? So I would try to be quite independent and objective and evaluate my behavior, my choices, my decisions. And I saw again and again, girlfriend, you're doing the right thing here. Right. Like, dude, was I making some mistakes? We all make mistakes. But in general, I was doing the right thing but I felt uncomfortable doing it. Right. And so, you know, that whole growth, if this is helpful to someone, you know, who's listening, because it was a game changer when I realized it gave me permission to grow, to change, to feel awful through the change and to not resist it, but to lean into it, knowing that even while I was so uncomfortable I was still able to trust myself. I was mm-hmm. still able to do a good job. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I that, to- yeah, right? totally agree. Yeah. <laughs> and it's all- just so helpful to know that. <laughs> all change is uncomfortable at first and can get messy in the middle, but it's beautiful in the end. I was having a conversation with a friend last night and, you know, you just mentioned awareness and 
when we were talking, we we're having a really you know deep conversation about where we are in life right now. And especially when we're talking about awareness, it, he said he no longer says understanding. Like he no longer says he has an understanding. He has an inner standing. So <laughs> I was like, oh, can I borrow that? Yeah, I know. That's like, <laughs> who is this human? That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's so share with us, Eleanor, what is what is one thing that most people don't know about you? Oh, that's so that's so good. <laughs> the degree to which I need to overcome self-doubt on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that mm-hmm. I don't talk about that a lot. I don't give it a lot of airtime, but it's real. You right. know, it's real. It's there. Yeah. That that imposter syndrome. We all have it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we right? all have it. <laughs> exactly. Especially when you publicly do a lot of war with it, but it's still mm-hmm. there. Yeah. 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 But I think I think you saying that out loud, and I've had a few women that have come on the show and said the exact same thing, but I think it's important for people to hear because there may be a woman listening who feels like, you know, she's had all these different adversities in her way and she hasn't accomplished much and maybe she's a stay-at-home mom like I used to be, all those things. And she's doubting herself. But when she hears a woman who is still pushed through the fear, a woman who has still reached a level of, of success, whatever that may be to anyone listening, but all of those things, all of these accolades and awards, you are a human being who still experiences imposter syndrome you are a human being that still experiences self-doubt and it's not to say that it will never exist because like i said we're humans but it's how we work through it it's Mm -hmm. the systems that we put in place to keep us pushing it's the things that we do on a regular to keep us uplifted and empowered and having that perseverance to keep going despite those whether it be the negative in, inner conversations or whether it be the fear of doing a thing or the uncomfortability or anything, but the fact that you keep going. Those are the stories that I love to hear most because mm. we see women like yourself doing these amazing things and some people will assume, oh, well, you know, her confidence is on a thousand or whatever they're picturing or imagining they're but probably hearing... saying about me well she's so she's so damn good looking that <laughs> like... how could I mean that's what I'm assuming right like, <laughs> people make assumptions right especially when they're looking at a visual if whether it be a photo of you or a video of you or hearing you speak their perception of you in that moment is so high that they feel like that's unattainable but when they hear your truth and your vulnerability and your transparency, where you're saying, I too experience imposter syndrome, I too suffer with self-doubt, I too have moments where I don't feel ambitious. Like your story is part of the reason why I continue to do this podcast, because not only does that inspire me, but it inspires the women listening. It's so fascinating, isn't it? Because I think that 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 sense, it inspires me to, you know, when I see women who, who are able to, I guess it's sort of embrace the totality of our experience. And so, you know, there are moments when we feel like queen of the universe, there are moments Mm -hmm. where we don't feel that way at all. There are things that we love about ourselves and places where we just don't like ourselves. Mm -hmm. There are, you know, and all of that. And what I also find interesting is that doesn't go away. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember I setting these arbitrary, these goals 
And I really did think that once I hit those goals, my life would be better. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting. My life is more comfortable. But I would say that I still have – it hasn't changed my overall – like I still – sometimes things are easy. Sometimes they're hard. Sometimes things are going well. Sometimes they're not going well. For me, what has changed is my capacity to observe what's happening with a certain degree of detachment. Like, oh, that's mm-hmm. interesting. Wow. You know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I I couldn't agree with you more. I'm big on reflection. And if I look at not only my own journey, but all of you amazing women that I've been blessed to have these conversations with, is that there is balance in life, whether or not we want to accept it. So in order for us to appreciate the light, there's dark. If we think about a tree, you know, they say that the root of the tree is as deep as it is tall. Like there's balance in life. So when people look at our lives and they see these, you know, huge accolades or successes or wins or highlights, they have to understand there's balance. So we also have really low lows or, you know, super bad days or major losses or failures or what have you. It's, it's balance. It's life. It's life. (laughs) it's true (laughs) so I would love to know because I do believe that most if not all good leaders also have coaches and mentors great coaches all have coaches good mentors have mentors so have you had any coaches or mentors that have helped you along the way oh yeah so many so many here are a few Chris Plackey is a coach who really really supported me as I built my team um, you know, running a business can feel lonely, especially, you know, I was very, very comfortable leading. Managing was something that I was not as comfortable doing and required a level of vulnerability and clarity that it was just so helpful to have somebody support me, you know, through the process of doing that. So Chris Plackey has been a tremendous mentor to me in my life. My mother has been a tremendous <laughs> mentor, you know, in my life. And I would say, yeah, that's that right now. That's somebody who's really, those are two women, you know, who have really made a difference to me. Awesome. So, with everything that you do, you know, as a mother and as a coach and a leader and the founder, like, how does Eleanor take care of Eleanor? What does your self care routine look like? So, I have a pretty consistent meditation practice that has been a big part of my life for years. So I have a lot of sort of structure around my routine. So I wake up early, I meditate, I I brew up some coffee, I meditate, I do some yoga. And I always, always, always spend about 15 minutes a day writing out my vision Mm -hmm. for my life Mm -hmm. to just continue to bring that attention back to it. And I would say that that's been one of the most kind of important practices. I used to be a big grinder, like in the gym, <laughs> you know, and all of that. And as my professional life and, you know, being a mother and travel, when, back when we all used to travel, travel all of that. <laughs> I just, you know, back when we all used to travel back in the day. <laughs> yeah. You know, it changed. I started getting, I started taking on a lot more stress. And so one of the things, one of the big shifts I have made in recent years is that my exercise, nutrition, sleep, everything is built actually around stress reduction. Right. And so where I used to go and try to get shredded in the gym, it's not like that. 
it's all, all of my work, like my workouts are short and consistent. You know, I don't do long runs. I do shorter sprints. I, mm-hmm. you know, there's, it's just everything in my life now is built around making sure I'm able to lower cortisol levels, get into that parasympathetic nervous system and chill out. Mm-hmm. And that has been a huge transformative way in terms of how I take care of myself. As you speak about your self-care routine and listening, and what I took from that is that one, the results are in the routine. So you have a routine of things that basically equates to how you're able to get your present results. Uh, two, I took from that, you know, you writing out your your vision. So especially in what I do when I'm training my clients is to get them to have a clear vision of what they mm. want for their life. Because if you can't see that, because everything happens twice. First, it happens in the spiritual, then it happens in the natural. So if you are not able to, in your mind, envision what you want for your life, how are you going to manifest that in real life? How are you going to make that your reality? You know, as as human beings, we think in pictures. So if I said to you right now, car, you're going to envision a car. I may not know exactly what type of car you're going to envision, but that is, you know, up to you to have that clear vision in your mind of what a car looks like. You're not envisioning the letter C-A-R, right? So Mm. us being able to have a clear vision of what we want for our life in order to manifest it is super important. And then when you talk about stress reduction, I think it's beautiful that you've even shifted from, you know, that grinding mentality to the stress reduction, because people don't realize that your coping mechanisms now are what help you through when times get tough. Your, your routine right now to minimize stress in your life is what's going to help you in those times, you know, when you need to be resilient. It's, mm-hmm. it's the things that you're doing now that make it easier to get through those tough times. That's what I got from what you said. <laughs> yeah, no, I love it. I love it. Beautiful summation. <laughs> so I have this completely random question that I love to ask every woman that comes on the show. And I came across this article on the Reader's Digest that basically says what your favorite type of shoe says about your personality. So I'd love to ask, what, what's your favorite type of shoe? Is it, you know, a high heel boot, a running shoe, a stiletto, a flip-flop, pumps, I don't know, walking shoes? High tops. Know. Okay. Yeah. So high Basketball tops would sneakers. fall, would you say more sneakers or a walking shoe? Yeah. So like, uh, yep, sneakers. Sneaker buffs get along with everyone. Are you someone who relates to people much younger than you, yet also feels comfortable conversing with someone much older? Sometimes you're an old soul, and sometimes you're the life of the party. For sneaker buffs, age truly is but a number, because you get along with everyone. The sneaker is very versatile, a very open person, willing to explore a lot of options and different ideas. You're energetic and ageless, You're really not young or old. You can move fluidly through age-specific groups. Does that sound like you? It does. It sounds (laughs) sounds very much like me. (laughs) Okay. I get along with everyone, but I do also dish out my share of hard eye rolls, just so (laughs) y'all know. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) I've had to... uh, tell people my face has no manners. So I apologize (laughs) if I'm not saying something, but my eyes or my facial expressions are being disrespectful. That's right. right. (laughs) right. 
<laughs> I love it. I love it. So tell the people before we go to the final segment of the show where they can stay connected with you online. Oh, I'd love to. So my best places are probably my website, eleanorbeaton.com or on Instagram at eleanorbeaton. Awesome. Awesome. So I will have the direct links for them to connect with you in the details section so they don't have to search too far. Perfect. Awesome. And the final segment of the show, I call it a walk in her wisdom. And I just ask a couple quick reflection questions and you say the first thing that comes to mind. Perfect. Name a book that has changed or greatly impacted your life. The Road Less Traveled by Robert Peck. What, what's that about? Ooh, it's like, <laughs> it's the very first self-help book. Actually, the very first self-help book I ever read was Ian Le Van Zandt's Yesterday I Cried. And mm. then the second, um, and actually that, that preceded and it opened me up to the world of self-help and The Road Less Traveled was the second one and it was exactly what I needed to read at the time. It was the first time I ever really learned that our thoughts might not be real. <laughs> like we don't mm-hmm. have to believe our thoughts. Yeah. Exactly. Because our thoughts are liars sometimes. <laughs> they, uh, yes. Very yes. effective liars. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. If you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it, what would it say and why? Black Lives Matter, it mm. would say. And it would say that because I think this this is our time mm-hmm. to really have deep conversations about systematic racism mm-hmm. around the world. Absolutely. I haven't, you know, you know, I'm a biracial woman and it, it, this whole period has been a time where, and it's so interesting during this entire period, people, this is a whole other conversation, but it comes as a, as a surprise to people, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and there's so much that we have to, there's a lot of conversation, a lot of work, and this is our time. Yeah. Yeah. I, yep. Yeah, I, there's so much I could elaborate on that. And I'm like, oh, right. let me not go. I know. <laughs> Another podcast episode. Yeah, exactly. In part two. <laughs> yes, exactly. What new beliefs, behavior, or habit has improved your life in the last five years? That habit of spending the 15 minutes writing my vision. Mm. And I would say there's a, there's a part B to that, which is what that has allowed me to do is to feel as though that is real now. Mm-hmm. And it may sound delusional, <laughs> but um, it's a great delusion that's very effective in terms of producing the results that you want. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. What do you wish women would do more of? I wish women would own their ambitions without apology. Mm-hmm. Amen. What impact do you want to have on the world? I want to be an example of what feminine power really looks like Mm. to inspire women to not be afraid of power, to embrace power, and to really learn how to use power. And this is a lifelong journey for all of us, myself included, but that's the true impact that I want to have. I love that. Awesome. Wow. Thank you so much, Eleanor. Like, I truly appreciate you taking the time to join us today and sharing all of your gems and your beautiful journey with us. Thank you. It was my pleasure. 
Awesome. And to all of you faith walkers out there, until next time, subscribe on all platforms. Don't forget to rate the show and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And join the community of faith walkers and sign up for our weekly newsletter at awalkinmystilettos.com. And be sure to grab one of my personal development books available online everywhere. And if you could think of one person that would receive value from Eleanor's story, please share it with them. Feel free to screenshot this week's episode and you can tag us on Instagram. You can tag Eleanor at Eleanor Beaton and you can tag myself at The Real McKinney Smith and continue to walk in greatness in your stilettos in a manner worthy of your calling.